back in 2003, I gave my life to Jesus, and when I did that, I knew that everything about life was different. You know, uh, everything about the world felt different, and in, in some ways, everything was different. I remember I gave my life to Jesus, and I used to be somebody who was just struck by, like, fits of rage. I just blow up. I punched a hole through a door one time. Um, I, I threw a telephone across the room and it exploded into a thousand pieces. This is what Derek without Jesus looks like. Uh, and, but when I gave my life to Jesus, it changed. That went away. In a moment, it was just gone. And I was super excited. I was somebody else. I had become somebody else. But I remember feeling a lot of grief when after I surrendered my life to Jesus, I went home, and some of the same habit patterns crept into my life again. I started noticing myself being, at some level, the same kind of person I used to be. I was horribly disappointed because I thought everything was different. So a few, a few years later, I made the decision to be baptized. If you've not been baptized, I do follow Jesus. This is shameless blood. You should be baptized. Anyway. I got baptized, and I thought, this will be the time when all of those things change about my life. This will be the time. And I remember I was standing on the stage in Columbus, Columbus, Ohio, and there's a bunch of us. I think the day I got baptized, there were like 70 people getting baptized. Um, and a whole bunch of people came up, they laid hands on us and prayed for us, and I remember the pastor praying for us. He said, Lord, would sin patterns from these folks' lives be left in the waters of baptism? And I thought, that's what I want. That's the thing I want. That's what I'm after. And then I went home after I was baptized, and I found that it didn't go away. That some of the same things still existed in my life. That I discovered that evil was still present in my life, in my very being. And I can't tell you how disappointing that was. I bet a bunch of you can probably relate to this. You gave your life to Jesus. You had an expectation that this is going to transform everything about your life, and in some ways, it does. But then you find that certain things just haven't changed. That judgmental attitude that you have is still there. That's a, I think, fairly Christian thing to do, right? Saying on the judgmental attitudes. Don't we tend to do that a lot of times? I think the world outside would tell us that that's what we do. But we find things like we're still addicted to alcohol. We're still addicted to, to Facebook. Anybody, anybody else addicted to Facebook? This is like, this is an honest time. This is confession. This is good liturgy. Everybody in the Reformed Church would love us. We're going to confess our sin of being addicted to Facebook, right? It's built to do that to you, by the way. That's a whole other message. A whole other message. We find ourselves still addicted to things. We find ourselves still angry. We find ourselves still gossiping. And we go, what is wrong with this? Have you seen this in your life? Or is this just me? It may just be me. And if it's just me, this is just self-confession time. And you all just get to watch me make a fool of myself. Not to mention everybody at home who's watching on YouTube gets to just watch me make 
that, that just raises the stakes, right? Public confession to the interwebs. But you know what's interesting is that it's even prevalent on a national level and a global level, right? Have you ever, in 2020, as you think about 2020, have you ever been more aware of the prevalence of evil than this year? Like, have you ever seen that more in your life? You've seen disease cripple the world, right? Jesus is king, and COVID is running rampant. We've seen racism, like, up close and personal, like maybe we've not seen before. We watch people get killed on the internet because of their race. It's out front, right, on, right in front of us. We've seen riots and looting and lawlessness. We've seen corruption, political scandal. And somewhere in there, there was a little blip for a second about murder warrants. Right? Wait, some of you are like, what? No, there was like, for like the first week of April, the murder warrants were taken over. Remember that? And now it's fine, I don't know. I don't know. You can watch YouTube, but it looks like when somebody gets some by a murder warrant, it looks horrible. You can see anything on YouTube. But have you ever been more aware of the presence of evil in your life? And yet we are a people who would say that the kingdom of God has come. Have you worked out that mess in your life yet? Have you figured that out? I saw a meme uh, a couple weeks ago that said uh, that I want to ask my mother if the offer to slap me in the next year still exists. Did you guys see that? Like maybe next year will be better. I thought it was funny. But in all of this, the watching world asks this question. If there's a God, like you Christians claim, if Jesus is the king who is reigning on the throne, like you Christians claim, why is there all this evil happening in the world? Why is that true? And I would bet if we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves, that question is crept up inside of us. Has it crept up inside of you? Like, why is all of this even happening? If Jesus is in charge, why is this happening? It makes no sense. Have you wrestled with that in your life? Today we're going to look at a, a parable in Matthew chapter 13. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Matthew chapter 13. And as you're doing so, I want to sort of set some background from Matthew chapter 13. All through the ministry of Jesus, he teaches in parables. Many of you will know that. He tells these stories that take something from the culture that people understand, and he turns them and says, this is how you're going to understand this thing called the kingdom of God that you don't understand. But he tells stories, and when you read parables, you have to understand that they make sense the culture in which they're told. It's like a really good sermon illustration, right? If I ever had one of those, I would tell you what it was like. But it's this story that you can relate to that helps you understand something you don't understand. And so Jesus tells these, these parables, and in Matthew chapter 13, there's seven parables, just one right after another, as you read through Matthew chapter 13. And they're all making a very similar point. 
And the point here is, of, of all of these is that Jesus is explaining to these people what the kingdom of God is like. But it's not just chapter 13 where he talks about this. That's not the only place. In Matthew 4, right after Jesus is baptized and taken to the wilderness for 40 days, if you remember the story, he's tempted by the devil and then he comes out. And right after that, verse 17, Matthew chapter 4 says this, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, turn around, think again. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And with this statement, Jesus begins his ministry, and the whole topic never changes. If you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the topic of Jesus preaching never changes. In fact, if you, if you go through and you try to take out all the places where Jesus is explaining the kingdom, or telling a parable about the kingdom, or demonstrating healing of the kingdom, or talking about the values of the kingdom, if you take that out, you pretty much don't have any Gospels left. This is the message of Jesus. It's the kingdom of God is at hand. If you want to understand the teaching of Jesus, if you want to understand the message of Jesus, if you want to understand the ministry of Jesus, heck, if you want to understand the passage we're going to read today, what you have to understand is it's all about the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom of God. There is nothing else. And as we look at our passage today, when Jesus is telling these parables, he's telling these parables because the, people, the Jewish people had some expectation of what the kingdom of God was like. They've been looking forward to it for centuries. Prophets have been saying, this is what it's going to be like. It's going to be a, uh, there's going to be a Messiah in the line of David. What does that mean? Well, David was this political or this military ruler who came in, kicked out all the foreign oppressors, and established peace. And so all the prophets said, there's going to be a Messiah who comes just like David and is going to take down the oppression. And that we are going to have peace again as the Jewish people. This was the expectation. And so you might, you might understand that, that people are rightfully expecting that hey, when the Messiah shows up, you know, here's Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. When the Messiah shows up, all of our bad things are going to be over. And Jesus says, it's not like you think. It's not like you think. But before we get too far, I want to clarify a couple of things that may or may not make sense to you if you don't understand this. In Matthew, you see this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. In Mark, Luke, and John, you see this phrase, the kingdom of God. They are the same thing. Matthew is uh, speaking to a predominantly Jewish audience, and the Jewish people would replace the word God with the word heaven for fear that they would take the Lord's name in vain. So they the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, same thing. Um, the second thing that you need to understand is that when you see the word kingdom, it's probably different than you or I naturally would understand it. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, it's not the same. As we think, we tend to think of like the United Kingdom, right? Here's, here's some nations or a geographical area on a map that you can point to and call it a kingdom. That's not what Jesus is talking about. 
When Jesus uses the word kingdom or kingdom of God, he's not referring to a place on a map, but he's referring to the right of a king to rule. What he's saying is God's right to rule. What does that look like? Well, God's kingdom extends anywhere God gets his way. That's as far as the kingdom goes, right? If you own a house, your kingdom extends as far, as far as you get your way. Usually those are marked by offenses, right? If you try to go further than that, your kingdom doesn't extend there, your neighbor's kingdom does, and you get sued for things like that. Right? that the rule of the Messiah was going to come, but it wasn't going to look quite like what, what they expected. And so Jesus tells this parable and confronts the expectation that people have. And you can see glimpses of the fact that they don't quite get it, right? I mean, if you read through, uh, through the Gospels and you see where, where later on Matthew, uh, or, uh, Matthew 20, you see James and John and they think it's like this military political thing that Jesus is like going to overturn the government and, and we're going to create a new government. And so James and John send their mom to Jesus and say, hey, I want you to, uh, to have one of my sons sit on your right and one on your left. What, he, what she's saying is, well, one of them to be the Secretary of State, well, one of them to be the Prime Minister when your kingdom comes. Or, or a little bit further down the road, uh, after Jesus is resurrected, you get to Acts 1, and the disciples are like, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it now that we're going to be a political dynasty? They still don't get it. They don't understand it. So Jesus tells parables to explain the kingdom. And all through the ministry of Jesus, he goes about teaching and explaining the kingdom that people think they understand because they don't understand. That's what we're doing right here. You know, I don't think we understand the kingdom any more than they did. It's easy to look at the book and go, you know, Peter, what a moron. Maybe the kingdom. But do we? Do we understand what it is for God to be the king in our lives? Do we get that? When you think about your life, does Jesus get his way every time? When I think about my life, does Jesus get his way every time? I think the honest answer is no. There are places in our lives that we hold on and we say, well, no, we want our way. And so we need to understand the kingdom in the same way they need to understand the kingdom. It's the whole message. That Jesus is the king. So we're, we're going to look at our parable here. It's a continuation of coloring of the message that Jesus is teaching in the parable just before. I told you, I think, I may not have told you, but I've told you so times. There are seven parables that happen in Matthew 13. And they all are basically teaching some nuance of God's rule and reign. And so 
In the first one, it's this parable of soils, and if those of you who know it, great. If you don't know it, go back and read it later. It's right before where we're going to start. And Jesus basically says, this guy's selling out seed, and it falls on different kinds of ground. Some is, is rocky ground, and some is, is eaten by the birds, and some is thorny ground, but some seed lands and bears fruit. And the point of what Jesus is saying is, not everybody who hears the message of the kingdom is actually going to bear the fruit of the kingdom. So we broadcast the message of the kingdom to everybody, and some will respond and bear fruit. And so then he continues right after that. He explains it to the disciples, and he continues. Verse 24, chapter 13, verse 24. You read this, you don't have to read about that. You can just follow along. Says Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Now, pause right there for just a second. You might think that's a really weird thing. But apparently, it's fairly common. The Romans have laws against such things, against going and spreading bad seed in someone's field. But if you wanted to sabotage your enemy, so throw weeds seed in their field. Anyway, 26 says, When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, there's a couple things you need to understand if you really want to get what Jesus is talking about. How many of you already know what Jesus is talking about? Honestly. Cool. Nobody. Great. When you read about sowing seed, I didn't give you long enough to put your hand up. Uh, when you read about sowing seed in Scripture, our present-day understanding of farming is not helpful at all, right? It didn't just jump on the case and, like, you know, just drive it. I don't know. Maybe you've been on the case. is a real tractor, right? John Deere? John Deere. Okay, John, John Deere and I was. Um, they just didn't jump on the tractor and go, like, plant seed. You know, what I think about is, like, a, a you know, the, the corn rows that are just nice and perfectly spaced and it grows up real nice. This is not farming in the first century. If you if you want to sow seed in the first century, you have a bag of seed and you just throw it. This is farming. This is like this is what I think about when I think about farming, man. This is good. This is like you just throw seed. You just broadcast spread it and it lands where it lands. Which is what makes the previous parable actually even make sense. And so this is what the farmer did, broadcast spread seed. But if an enemy wants to go sow weeds, what does the enemy do? Same thing. It's not different. And so if you get that, what you'll understand then is that these seeds may have, and very likely did land right next to each other. And as they sprout, most certainly, the roots are interconnected. Second thing I want you to understand is that 
there's something that's not readily evident when you read this in English. If you didn't know, the New Testament was not written in English. The New Testament was written in Greek. And there's something that's not clear when the way it's written in English when we translate it. When Jesus talks about weeds, he's actually talking about a very specific kind of weed that's prevalent in Israel. In, I, gotta, I wrote it down because I'll never remember. It's the bearded darnel. Darnel. I don't know. Farming people help me. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. It's this, this weed that grows up and it's indistinguishable from wheat for a long time. It grows up just like wheat does. And the only way you can tell is when it sprouts ahead, the wheat bends over. The bearded darnel keeps going straight. But it keeps growing straight. And you can't tell the difference between the two until it sprouts ahead, until it matures. Now, here's the thing the bearded darnel or darnel is poisonous to eat. And so you wouldn't want to harvest that, roll it in your flour, and eat it. It's hazardous. But you can't tell what's what until it sprouts ahead and is good for harvesting. And this maybe provides a little bit of clarity that, that Jesus didn't want them to go uproot the weeds because it's like, you don't know which ones are weeds yet. You just don't know. You can't tell until it matures. With those two pieces of information, the farmer says, don't go pull the weeds. Don't go pull them out because you're either actually accidentally going to pull wheat out or you're going to pull the roots of the wheat out just by pulling the wrong or the right thing. Do you get it yet? I mean, you get it now. This is what Jesus is talking about. Couple. Forget it. Forget it. Have you ever read scripture and thought, well, I don't understand what's happening? Have you ever done that? You're like, I don't really get it. I can't really follow Jesus because I don't understand the Bible. And I think that's what I'm supposed to understand in order to follow Jesus. And I feel a little bit stuck. Here's some really good stuff. You're in good company. Because the disciples don't get it either. If you look down at verse 36, Jesus is going to explain what happens. Verse 36 says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. In other words, we don't get it. We don't get it. We're your followers. We're the closest ones to you. You talk about all this stuff with us. We don't get it. We're in good company. If you don't understand scripture, that's okay right now. Stay okay. Verse 37. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. So the Son of Man is Jesus. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. There you go. There's all your players. That's your, that's your, that's your bill right there. That's who's playing in this story. Verse 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Well, there's a popular message. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And then Jesus always finishes his parables like this. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Why does Jesus tell parables? Because it forces you to lean in to understand. Jesus is what seemed like after everybody. What do you think, you know, like when you think about Jesus, it's like after everybody, right? But over and over and over through scripture, you find these weird things that Jesus does that's like, oh, you're you're leaving people out. Or you're making it hard for people. Turns out Jesus never lowers the bar for the kingdom. You can show that for a while. In this parable, Jesus makes two points that I want to explain or, or talk about for the remainder of this message. The first point is this, that in the kingdom, good and evil will exist together for a time. How many of you know that? Good and evil exist in the kingdom for a period of time. And the sub-point is, you know, we can't tell who becomes good and who becomes evil. That's the point of the parable. We can't tell the difference between the wheat and the weed. We can't tell until it matures. Too often in the church at large, we have this habit of quickly judging who people are or what they are. Right? Have you seen this? Where, where we just decide, well, that person did that thing, so they are evil. And I think what this parable teaches us is that it's not up to us to make that decision because you don't know what this person can become. We just don't know. We decide those outside the church are not kingdom people. Here's the other, here's the other crazy part. We decide that everybody who shows up to a meeting like this, they're kingdom people. They're good people. They come to church, right? Have you ever been stunned whenever you find out somebody in the church falls in a big way? I'll take the one that, how many of you, if I, if I say the, the, the phrase, the BTK killer, how many of you know that phrase? Anybody know that is? Okay, nobody, that's okay. There was this guy who was the president of his Lutheran congregation, and in the background was a murderer. And when that came out, I was like, how is this even possible? And I had done this, right? Like, oh, if you're in the church and you do churchy things, you're probably a good person. But the parable says, you can't tell. I can't tell. Every week when we stand up here to do this, there's this thought that maybe if you ever preach a message, you'll, you'll have this thought where you're standing here looking at people and you're going, I think everybody gets it, but I think they're actually going to do something with it. And then you're stunned when that doesn't happen. Like, this, I'm more than six years into this, and it shocks me still when I go, here's what it is to be a kingdom person, and people go, ah. Here's what it looks like to, to use your, your money or your sexuality a certain way. It shocks me sick that we have some expectation that because you show up to a gathering like this, that you're going to take everything I say and go, yeah, let's go, let's go do that. Sorry, we're getting people we do this stuff. Maybe you'll have that experience. Is it any wonder why we're stunned when people inside the church fail? 
and while we're surprised that people don't want to come and be a part of what we're doing. Because so often, I think I, I, Francis Chan, many of you know that name, Francis Chan said, we at the church are the most judgmental and, and divisive people in the world. Have you seen that? Some of you are like, oh, don't, don't, don't look at him, he won't look at me. But oftentimes, we're guilty of judging what the plant is before it's matured and formed. But we decide. And Jesus says, in the kingdom, you can't tell. You can't tell. Which means the kingdom demands that we take a posture toward people that always allows for the possibility that they're kingdom people. Do you have hope for people who don't look like they're kingdom people? Do you have hope for that? Like when you think about people who fall, or you think about people who, who are outside of the church, do you have do you see them as potentially kingdom people? Or do you write them off? You don't have to answer it out loud. But I want you to consider it. What's your posture? Shouldn't we who have experienced the goodness of God and, and, and the love of God, shouldn't we have the most hope for the people in the world? Do you know why people don't come to things like these? Because they don't think there's hope offered. Isn't that a tragedy? Shouldn't we be people who have hope to offer? Because I'll tell you this much, I was a busted mess headed for hell. And God can do something with my life. Shouldn't we have hope on tap for people? There's some of us, though, who have the opposite problem. We don't, we don't just decide, but we've decided for ourselves that we have a hard time thinking that we'll ever mature. And we tend to think of ourselves as, you know what, I'm just, I just must be the weed. I don't have the head popping out yet, but I must just be the weed. Because this is not coming together for me. We inherently know that there's good and there's evil and a battle within us. And yet, we just don't think we're going to win someday. Friends, if this is you, the good news is that you don't have to wonder. The invitation of Jesus is to come to him and make a life with him. That's why the spiritual discipline class, I know everybody hates the word discipline. The spiritual discipline class is so important that you begin to develop a life with Jesus where out of you comes the weakness. Where out of you comes the kind of person that you, that you would want to be, that God would want you to be. The kingdom reality that good and evil will exist together for a time, it, we, we have a phrase for that. We're not the only ones. I'd like to think we were like, this smart, but we're not. We're just average people. But we refer to this as the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Have you heard us use that phrase? You guys have heard us talk about that. And what this means, the now and the not yet of the kingdom it means, is that there is something of the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign here now. But it's not yet fully here. That's what this parable is talking about. That something of the reign and rule of God is here now, but it's not yet fully here. We talk about this for those of you who have been in the prayer, the how to pray for people class. You pray for people, and what happens? Anybody? What happens when you pray for people? Do they always get well? 
Sometimes they, they don't get well. Sometimes I pray for people that have got worse. That's feels really bad. Oh, I'm sorry I prayed for you. You're worse. But we pray for people and we find that they don't always get better. But yet somehow in heaven all healing happens. God's will is that people get well. So what's the deal? So now I'm the not going to the kingdom of God has come, but it is not yet fully here. We think about this in terms of praying for healing, but I think it goes further than this. There's a deeper application of this. If you just look right now what's going on in our world, in our nation right now, there's this upfront, interface reality of racism, right? Anybody miss that? Anybody not been present since May? This is happening in our world right now. And here's the, the, the thing that we do. We go, well, we need to eradicate this. And this needs to be over and done and gone and dealt with. We've got to deal with that. It's going to change forever. And we're going to root it all out. Don't hear me wrong. I think that's a good deal. Here's the problem. The now and the not yet of the kingdom applies to this too. We should always pursue justice where it's within our bounds to pursue justice. But the reality is, this is so much deeper and the only way the healing comes all the way is that Jesus returns and makes it right. We pursue justice, that perfect justice won't happen until Jesus returns. The second part point that Jesus makes is that there will be a day when evil will be decidedly dealt with. That there will be a day when all the things that you struggle with, all the things that you battle with, there will be a day when Jesus will reckon all of the evil. This is a hopeful statement. Because even though we don't completely see it now, we serve a God who will one day bring justice. Can you imagine what it would be like if Jesus was like, well, it's just kind of what you get now Whatever you guys can make happen. You would fight everything as if your life depended on it. Would you not? Do you see that in the world? You see that in people who don't understand the kingdom, right? That everything rides on me solving my cause. And I have to solve every cause in all the world. We who understand the kingdom know that one day Jesus will put all things back in News. Because the world's pretty messed up. And the last thing I'll say to you is that the question ultimately put forward in all of these parables that Jesus tells is what are you going to do with Jesus? That's the question that Jesus is asking. In the first parable, what there's only going to be a few who respond to the message of the kingdom and bear the kingdom this parable, that there are going to be people who are evil, right next to people who are good, and the ones that, that we recognize as good are those who mature and produce fruit. The next is, is the mustard seed, that, that there's a smaller seed that will grow, that it seems like the kingdom is very insignificant right now, because we're just talking about how Jesus is king, and it's not really like changing everything, but one day the kingdom will be huge. It's the same with the yeast. 
little bit of peace eventually learns to hold and go. This is the kingdom. It starts small, but eventually it takes full effect. All of these parables invite us to respond and say, what are we going to do with Jesus? That's the question I'm asking you. What are you going to do with Jesus? There's a long answer here that sounds very right. The wrong answer is, all right, I'm going to buck up, I'm going to leave here, and I'm going to do a whole bunch of religious things. And by that, I'm going to, see, I'm going to prove myself to be a kingdom person by all the religious things I do. That's what the Pharisees did. And Jesus soundly convicted them and condemned them. You see, if we could do it all on our own, what would we need Jesus for? The invitation here, the response here, is that you would get near to Jesus, that inside of you, he would form the kind of person who naturally produces fruit. It's not work harder. It's get closer to Jesus. This is the invitation. 